Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 11, Teaching Artistry Live, Urgency and Love, Act 2, Arts and Education Week and Global Conversations, recorded September 18th and October 1st, 2018, in New York City. Screaming about a revocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hello, Teaching Artistry listeners. The midterm elections are coming up in two weeks. I can't stress enough how important it is to exercise your right to vote. There are many in this country who would be happy to take your right away and are, in fact, doing this. But the world, and more specifically to me in this country, is a dumpster fire. (laughs) Oh, God where fear, anger, and frankly, sensationalism is giving way to actions that are violent and crazy-making um, on the on, even on the local and state levels. There must be checks and balances for this White House administration. And for the last two years, there has been none. Uh, okay, maybe not none, but very little uh, in so many areas. All the seats in Congress uh, in the House are up for re-election. Vote! A large number of seats are up in the Senate, like in Texas, where Beto O'Rourke is looking to unseat Ted Cruz. Vote! There are governor races, like in Georgia, where the possibility of Stacey Abrams, who could become the country's first black female governor, but not if her corrupt Republican opponent Brian Kemp, who is uh, kept, excuse me, uh, is the Secretary of State in Georgia, and in his current position, uh, has gets to oversee the um, Board of Elections. So it's a kind of a huge conflict of interest, I'd say. But he is actually overtly practicing voter suppression practices. Vote. Drive people to vote. Help people. Make sure people know that they can use Lyft and Uber and other ride shares in order to get to their voting polling places. Help each other. Help your community. Make sure we get our word out. There are a ton of elections um, happening on the local level specific to your area. And in a conversation that I was having with uh, one of my neighbors, she pointed out to me that 
the local level is actually where real change can happen that ultimately could have an impact on the national stage. And so I don't know if I said this already, but I'm going to say it again. Vote, 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 vote. Now is a perfect time, I would say, because we're in this dumpster fire to give up and to say it doesn't matter, but it does. And it's really, really important to be able to, like I said, exercise your vote, use your right, engage. Tuesday, November 6th, vote. Okay. I have been thinking about all the conversations that I've had with my colleagues around leadership and artists. I continue to have conversations with folks that I work directly with and others who stimulate these deep thoughts in in me and my big brain. Um, And eventually, hopefully, those thoughts, those deep thoughts, become action, which could be applied to my own work at the New Victory or in the grad school courses that I'm teaching um, or working uh, on the board of the Association of Teaching Artists or for the, you know, all the other committees that I work on. and through this, this podcast. But this podcast has a goal. Its goal is to unveil good work that is happening in unknown pockets and to illuminate the motivations and intentions behind that work. And that, the fact that, you know, I got to have a lot of different conversations during the National Arts and Education Week helps me to think about that, you know, for the rest of the year. I was super excited about for this act that I got to speak with Jeff Poulin from Americans for the Arts about National Arts Education Week. And I spoke with members of the Roundtable's Teaching Artists Affairs Committee who led conversations with delegates of the International Teaching Artists Conference after the live podcast taping. Um, Those were called Dina Rounds. They sat with me to debrief the conference and the live taping and those all of those different kinds of global conversations. So I stepped down of my uh, soapbox and I hope that you enjoy this second act. Episode 11, Teaching Artistry Live, Urgency and Love. Act 2, Arts and Education Week and Global Conversations. Enjoy. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Courtney. Uh, Can you tell us uh, what your title is and where you work? Sure. So um, I am the Arts Education Program Manager at Americans for the Arts. And Americans for the Arts is the leading organization for the advancement of the arts and arts education throughout the United States. I love this organization and I really enjoy you. Um, Oh, you. You're welcome. Uh, You're very welcome. this, uh, we are talking about National Arts in Education Week. Can you tell us what that week is? Sure, so National Arts in Education Week is the week that follows the second Sunday in September that happens annually. Um, and it is designated by Congress as the national celebration of the transformative power of the arts and education. Um, it was passed through House Resolution 275 back in 2010. And what that means is that forevermore, that week um, is designated by Congress, our highest lawmaking body in this country, 
to compel all uh, federal, state, and local lawmakers to celebrate arts education. So it's a great opportunity for our field to connect with our decision makers, whether that be local school board, state legislature, or here in Washington, D.C., to basically talk about the power of arts education and what they can do to support it. Excellent. And, you know, I, I, this is what I do, right? Um, I, why do you think that it's important to have a week that is dedicated, specifically dedicated to arts and arts education on a national level? It's really essential, actually, because the visibility that this type of designation brings um, to help coalesce our field and to unify our voice is just the game changer um, in our advocacy for arts education. Mm. Really, what we see is that when we do have uh, a compacted amount of time, we watch um, over 750 events from coast to coast happen in that week, engaging decision makers in local communities. We saw um, an impact on social media of over 12 million engagements, sharing stories about how arts education has transformed lives of students and people um, across the nation. And ultimately, what we see is that since it is a high velocity point in our year, often back to school for a lot of folks, um, you know, or when we can bring our voices together, like at the conference that you and I both attended, what we see is that the sheer volume of engagement over the course of that week gets the attention. And when we have the attention, we're able to transfer that really vital research, information, um, or policy asks to our decision makers to ensure that we are continuing on that path towards equitable access to arts education for all learners. That's wonderful. I, 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 when you said um, transfer, I, I had the word leverage in my head. Um, and I think that there's lots of people who probably use this week as a place of leveraging, whether it be advocating or helping um, perhaps um, disbelievers believe. <laughs> would you say that, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that what we see is a lot of folks are able to engage um, folks who are not normally engaged. It's the opportunity to preach to the non-choir, if you will, right? You know, that we have um, folks engaging in the arts through our efforts during National Arts and Education Week that otherwise wouldn't be at that table. And that's really important because we can't do it alone. It does take um, an entire community to provide an education for a student, and it takes an entire ecosystem to support the policies that make that possible. And so this is our time to engage everyone from, you know, law enforcement, uh, to the clergy, um, to parents and students and educators alike to uh, bring their voices together and talk about how the arts have had a positive impact in their lives and their community and their school and so on. Yes. Um, so Jeff, you have a tour, right? You crisscross uh, the nation during this week. So I'm curious how you organize uh, where to go, what you actually have to do in order to make this week as successful as I, I, that you made it sound with the millions and millions of um, social media uh, footprints. Yeah, so I'll start by just explaining a little bit about how we approach it here at Americans for the Arts. So we basically um, support Arts Education Week in two different ways. Uh, the first is by celebrating with the entire field. Um, when the uh, week was designated in 2010, we stepped in um, just shortly thereafter to help support um, local communities on the ground doing the good work. 
So there's no need for a local community to have to pay a designer to get a logo, to um, you know, put out a press release, to do all of these things that may not be in their wheelhouse while they're also running an arts education program, fundraising for an arts education program, evaluating impact of an arts mm -hmm. education program. And so what we do is we put out all of those tools of resources, in fact, two brand new ones this year on how to engage in social media, how to put on an event, who to reach out to, give sample press releases, sample resolutions, all of the different elements that are needed to help elevate the work that's happening in communities across the country. Simultaneously, we of course are a national association and we do um, our own celebrations with our members. And so um, we do that two different ways, one through our online professional development, which was offered um, on a daily basis with webinars and Twitter chats and all sorts of different things, and through local, local events that we co-host with our folks around the country. Um, so this year we helped, we co-hosted 16 events in 13 cities over the course of 11 days that ranged from Boston to Fairbanks, Alaska, down to San Antonio, Texas. Um, so you're right, we do crisscross the country. I will say I don't do it alone. We have a team here, um, but I also, and I also will say that I don't uh, crisscross the country. I've learned that lesson over the past couple of years, <laughs> but I did work west to east this year, um, mm. which was really good. Yeah, that one, the, the six-hour touchdown in uh, Portland, Oregon, to then get back on a plane was the uh, learning moment for me um, last year. But it really is um, transformative to be with communities during their celebration, whether it's hosting um, an educator happy hour at a really inspiring gallery in Omaha, Nebraska, or whether it was at the block party that we co-hosted in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, or whether it was you know, making a formal presentation uh, to a group of international stakeholders in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, we're able to um, join together with our members and with folks um, who are doing the work on the ground to celebrate them, celebrate the work, and ultimately raise the profile of arts and education. So, so something I didn't think about, but um, as you're talking, I was seeing a map of America and, and sort of, you know, the, the view of the planes going to the different places. But, you know, we live in a time right now where America does feel quite divided in certain ways. And I'm just curious, in, in visiting these different places in America um, and celebrating the arts, what are you seeing um, as similarities? Uh, and what are some, some highlights that you'd like to share with the, the listeners? Well, one of the things that we know about arts education is as a topic or as an issue area, the public has spoken out for decades about the importance of arts education, regardless of political affiliation, um, where one might live, um, what you know, type of community, urban, rural, it doesn't matter. It's very consistent that the arts are seen as important um, to a well-rounded education. And that statistic for the past couple of uh, times that we've done this study for about 25 years now has been nine out of 10 Americans. This year, actually, we're really pleased to announce that in just uh, on the 27th of September, 2018, um, folks can go on to the website for American Spirits and read the newest public opinion poll. And the data is so strong that we are confident in saying that almost all Americans believe that the arts are essential to a well-rounded education. So regardless of the political divisions, regardless of um, any differences that our communities may face, they often can get behind arts and cultural learning. Mm. And so um, it's really seen as a unifier um, for folks that, uh, you know, I'll share one example. Um, you know, we've had some politicians that have engaged with Americans for the Arts that are the left of the left and the right of the right and don't see eye to eye on anything except for appropriating funds for uh, the arts and arts education. And so we see folks um, speaking on the House floor mm -hmm. um, or the Senate floor in favor 
of designated funds at the U.S. Department of Education for the arts. Um, and, you know, otherwise, they're not politically aligned with many of the other folks there at all, but it is seen as the one bipartisan thing um, that will come out of that conversation. And so we're very excited um, to see that and to be leveraged in that point um, of connection uh, between folks in such a divided time. Thank you. Um, so as you said, uh, you, you spoke with a group of stakeholders in New York City. Um, that was the end of your tour. I was in that room. And you um, spoke a lot about uh, all of, the, of what you've already shared here, but you also talked about a really um, exciting new feature that will be posted on your website, am I right? Absolutely. It was really great to end our time with the International Teaching Artists Conference and um, to be surrounded by so many folks from all over the world, which, um, you know, small disclaimer, my work prior to American to the Arts was actually abroad, so it's great to always connect with uh, familiar faces um, here on the, the home turf. Um, but we uh, were able to celebrate with those folks um, and share two different things. One, um, the success of National Arts and Education Week and inviting folks in that room to participate um, in that final day. Um, but also with our international colleagues to talk about International Arts and Education Week, which is held every May, and it's sponsored by UNESCO, the United Nations Education uh, Scientific and Cultural Organization. And that has really led to that same visibility happening, but on an international scale. Um, and so one of the elements that we were able to work into uh, my remarks there is the reveal of a new tool that we have here at Americans for the Arts, which is called Arts Ed Exchange, um, where uh, we basically help to foster international dialogue and research and resource sharing to help benefit not only the arts education that's happening here in this country, but also to share out the great work that we're doing here with others. Um, we did a great uh, analysis of what's currently offered, and there's a lot of great data banks and a lot of great collections of stuff happening across the globe, but no way to share it. And so we are providing that service free of charge um, and hoping to leverage that to help improve um, the policy making, um, the pedagogical, as well as the practice um, and implementation of arts education happening here in the United States. I am so excited about this, um, and I can't wait to be able to share it, uh, well, to dig in, to share it um, with different um, uh, networks that I, uh, uh, I circle in, I guess, or I'm a part of, um, and at the university level as well. Um, I, you know, I really, I always love talking to you because one, I feel like you, you help me understand sort of where I am and the work that I do in the several different hats that I wear, um, where that is, where I am in the landscape of, of the larger schema. And I feel like, you know, so much of what we can do or what, sorry, what I mean to say is so much of what we do, sometimes we can get very mired in the details, right? And get into the weeds uh, within our own organizations and our own sort of lives. But to be able to look up during this week and see all the good work that's happening across the nation and beyond um, makes you feel like you're really a part of um, something that could feel like a movement or feel like, uh, you know, ripples that will have resonance and that feels really exciting and then it makes you motivated to continue to do the work so I just want to thank you for um, you know all the work that that Americans for the Arts do, uh, does for the field for policy making in the arts etc and and for the work that you do um, I have one last question for you sure uh, so what now that the week is over <laughs> um, 
in my, I say that I've said this before, I think every day is Arts and Education Week uh, or day. So what can uh, folks do to continue to celebrate and advocate for the arts and arts education every day of the year? Yeah, well, it's really simple and it's the basic um, essence of National Arts and Education Week. It boils down to just telling your story. Um, you know, one of the things, that, and back to your previous comment, um, you know, about being part of a movement, we are, but our field is really, really good at talking to each other. And oftentimes we forget that we have to talk to others because they're the ones that might make that decision or cast the vote or um, otherwise be uh, engaged in, um, you know, the, the support that and the infrastructure that goes forward in um, helping our work. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's as simple as often just telling the story. We know that that transformation happens with young people and with learners every single day through the arts. We see it, um, but we often don't tell people. And so that's the simple thing that I encourage you to do is set up a meeting with your principal, um, engage, uh, share a story at your town council meeting, um, talk to a funder, uh, share across the community that you might have um, of stakeholders in your local chamber of commerce or mm -hmm. Kiwanis club or you know whatever it mm -hmm. may be. Mm -hmm. But take that moment to just share the story because we witness the transformation in lives every single day through the arts. And it's up to others uh, that they need to know that too. And so we have that, that story to bear. We have that uh, story to share. And mm -hmm. doing that is the simplest act of advocacy that you can, think you can do every single day. I dig it. I dig it. I love that idea. It's ours, ours to bear and share. Um, so I want to thank you again for all your time in general, and then for this. Um, I think that part of you know part of my goal in this podcast is to to do that to amplify the good work that's happening um, in these pockets that are often unseen. And I love the idea of being able to continue to share the story as the baseline for advocacy. So again, thank you for all of the work that you do uh, as part of the Americans for Art for the Arts and for the Americans for the Arts to be such a strong advocacy um, group and affecting real, real change at the top levels of this country. So um, do you have any last things that you'd like to say before we go? I feel like it's only appropriate to mention that we should save the date for National Arts and Education Week 2019, yeah. which will be held from September 8th to 14th, uh, 2019. Save the date. Save the date. Jeff, thank you so, so much. Well, thank you, Courtney. It's a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure's all mine. All right. Thank you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, um, and I'm realizing I, th I think this is true that you all represent the Teaching Arts Affairs Committee at the right at the uh, just about. <laughs> um, but you also attended the International Teaching Artists Conference and um, were the leaders. Is that is that the right term? The leaders of the Dine Around. So can you um, each go around and just say uh, your name, your title, uh, and your organization that you work for? Uh, sure. David King, um, Program Director of School and Community Partnerships at Community Word Project. Great. 
Great. Um, Kimberly Olson. I'm the Interim Managing Director of the New York City Arts and Education Roundtable, and I'm also a theater teaching artist with multiple organizations around the city. Marcus Denard Johnson, Interim Director of Programs with Opening Act. And I'm Katie Rainey. I'm the Director of the Teaching Artist Project at Community Word Project. Um, okay, so uh, who who attended the, the International Teaching Arts Conference? Raise your hand. I did. So three out of four of you. Okay, great. Um, so I'm just so just to give a little background that the ITAC, from my from what I understood, <laughs> the ITAC four committee uh, was made up of people from Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center Education, and Dream Yard, and they reached out to um, local other local New York City. Um, entities, including the roundtable, to say, can you help us um, organize some social events for uh, the term, the time that the uh, conference is happening? And so there, I think there were actually two events, one that happened on, on September 12th, and that was led by, I believe, the, the programming committee of the roundtable. And then the second one was this live taping happy hour of the, pod, the teaching artist podcast, yeah? Um, so, so that's where I stepped in. <laughs> um, I'm also on the on the committee, but as I was telling you too, that I barely go to any of the meetings. I'm a bad committee member, <laughs> so this is my way <laughs> of of uh, contributing in some way. So um, again, I want to just thank you guys all. All I said this off tape, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. So what I would love to hear about one is uh, what was a a big takeaway for for you. Uh, or those of you who went to the International Teaching Artists Conference? Uh, so I'm just going to start off. Coming in hot. Yeah, coming in hot. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this was one of the two best conferences I've ever attended in my oh, life. Wow. Or adult life, whatever. And um, I think for me what was a pleasant, uh, I don't know, surprise outcome was a commitment <clears throat> to talking about uh, the components and dynamics of uh, racial justice, equity, um, and the dynamics that impact and influence it on arts and in the arts and education field. Um, so it wasn't necessarily every workshop that I attended naturally talked about that. Some of it was simply room to <laughs> use your hands and breathe and play and the importance of that, which we all, I think, you know, uh, want to contribute to. But the conversations, you know, within the same, under the same umbrella, within the same kind of purview, uh, really landed with me in a substantive way, including with people uh, who are not from the United States, particularly coming from like the United Kingdom and a little bit of like Australia and Tasmania, who had really um, insightful, discerning either questions or observations. Some were a little more quote unquote plugged in, tuned in, um, and which allowed me to kind of, you know, not have to carry the mantle of ex over explaining and whatnot. So it was it was uh, it was very insightful, deliberate conversation around pertinent topics affecting now and like forever <laughs> in this field. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it was also one of the best conferences I've ever attended, and I did not go into that expecting as much. Uh, I honestly, I was like, okay, here's a conference, I gotta go be a delegate, I gotta, this is the things I have to do, but like from the moment we entered, 
you realize that it actually is a teaching artist conference. It's not just like arts administrators posing as teaching artists. They are teaching artists from around the world. And like their organizations sent them and paid for them to go. And so just seeing like the arts and education investment across the world just was really brilliant. Um, but to echo what David said, like I just learned so much about the other challenges people are facing across the world and how like we just had, it was like a constant like group of thought partners that we were just bouncing ideas off of and talking about, um, you know, how they uh, combat, that's the wrong word, but face these challenges in their communities and use the arts to influence them. Um, that one that sticks out was the, the folks, the Aboriginal folks from Australia that were doing that really incredible work. Um, supporting these artists and their and to be in the school for a year and work with students and like giving them studio space and like just thinking I guess like more holistically on like how we can support teaching artists. I think for me hearing you say like investment in the teaching artist community a big takeaway that I got was how to translate that investment to a fair compensation mm-hmm. and seeing that that conversation was happening out not only outside of the New York City community but happening across a global level Mm -hmm. was startling Um, and also seeing what countries almost had it figured out where teach there was one country I think it was Singapore I could be misquoting the country where their teaching artists were employed by the government Mm. and they were compensated quite nicely and they got benefits and um, just seeing that we still haven't cracked the code. Um, and there was such a breadth of sessions and workshops about how to how do we get equal or fair compensation for teaching artists. Um, it was a surprising takeaway for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, I, I think I came at it, I'd been at the conference in Edinburgh prior to this, um, and I had a very impactful experience um, there. And, and from my perspective, the, the session, I, I, will, I love the theme of artist as an mm-hmm. instigator. Um, so I was really taken more so by the keynotes, like um, Aaron Huey, and the idea of like as an art project and as somebody who's coming into a community that I do not belong in, thinking mm-hmm. about what that means, yeah. um, and then finding ways to help people within that community tell their own stories. And then he had the ability to amplify that through Amplify. Um, but we actually ended up showing that whole keynote to our UVic um, teaching artists. And the reason why is because we were trying to help them, one, to see something that we, you know, got to experience. But um, in addition to that, to think about, you know, on a, on a different kind of scale, what the impact is, um, you know, when we are going into a community and what that, you know, understanding who you are when you go in, understanding how to, um, you know, Bring, bring what you have to give, but also receive from that community. So I thought that that, that, that for me was like a big light bulb. Um, and then I just felt like I was getting to know people in a different kind of way than I did at the mm-hmm. other conference. I don't know why that is, but I just felt like there was a lot of networking opportunities, even though like spatially that wasn't necessarily allowed, but the, the, um, the rooftop. I yeah. felt like it was a great common ground space. Great. And then the fabric, or making the flag. Was it a flag? Was What was the thing that yeah, we made? The flag. fabric. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I loved that too. It, um, I was not somebody who's good at sewing. 
Actually, the what were you guys at the last session? Which one? Very last session, the whole group where um, oh, they presented the on Saturday. Yes. Were there? I was not in the room. I was outside the room oh, looking oh, oh. at the screen. I understand. So the last woman who mm. spoke, uh, she was from an African country that I'm right. not remembering now. Ghana was it maybe? I, I can't remember. But mm. how she was to, like, okay. So that woman, <laughs> <laughs> when I picked out my fabric, I was just sort of standing. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and she was like, put it there. And then she ended up sewing it for me, oh. and, and and I I just I don't know why I just assumed that she was helping him the the artist. Oh. I didn't actually talk to her, and then later she was at the live podcast taping, and she's like, "I must talk to you," and I was like, "Oh, oh you, oh oh gosh, I'm a horrible person." And then after mm-hmm. she spoke, and after that session, I rolled up on her, and I was like, "We need to talk." She's mm. like, "Yes, I will call you." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." So we had these like bits of moments. <laughs> I still don't know anything about her, but I can't wait for her to email me, you know, so I feel like, hopefully she's listening, yeah, so. um, She was in my group, my dining around group, but she had to go, she had to leave early, she was, she was very um, concentrated on, I must get home, because I don't know where I'm going, you must help me get home, and have to show up on time tomorrow, so she was lovely. She was really, truly lovely, and she was really about that flag, I'm not (laughs) sure, like, she was helping other people, but, I mean, she just sort of picked up that mantle, and again, so much so that I thought she was a part of the making of, like, yeah, anyway, she was lovely. So you mentioned the diner, so let's go into that. So after the live taping, there were, uh, well, one, it was open to anybody, the Mm -hmm. the live taping, was at Mark Morris Dance Group Group. Yep. <laughs> and um, there was a healthy amount of people there, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Do you know what the final numbers were? I think it was over 100. What? Yeah. yeah. Stop. Yeah. Okay, so let me just say, from from my perspective, like, I've been, since I conceived of this, I really wanted to have, like, I want to be Ira Glass, basically. I want to be at BAM. I want, you know, have you ever listened yeah, to This American Life on BAM? Okay. So, um, it's a rite of passage. So I definitely, like, <laughs> built the, 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 the whole scenario to be similar to that, except mm. with the panel, not just one guest. But um, it's your audition. Uh, tape. It's my audition tape, right? Um, that, that said, I was really, I was really one so happy and thankful for the teaching arts affairs committee to to do a lot of the legwork, and so I could just focus on the panelists right. and, and sort of building that piece. Um, and it was really thrilling to have that many people there, and I wanted to make sure that I was really digging into the topics that were coming out of the conference, even though half the people on the panel weren't actually there. So Edie and uh, Penelope had it. Uh, actually, three of them. Actually, I think James was the only one who actually, me and James were the only ones who actually attended. Anyway, so so I wanted it to connect in the fact that like it was an open event, but two thirds at least of the group were from the conference itself. So I was really, very, very pleased with that. Um, and as host, I have to admit that I wasn't paying attention to any everything. You know, I was really trying to make sure when to ask which question. You know, that's what I was focused on. So as, were you in the room? Yeah. yeah. Um, so from your perspective, and please don't feel like you have to flatter me in any way, I'm just wondering like, what were some, what were some um, pieces of the conversation that resonated with you? Know? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that we also spoke about in the dining round that stuck out to me was James Miles. He spoke about, um, I don't know what the circumstances were, I can't remember them, mm-hmm. where he was at 
the dinner table with Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a seat at the table. And even having that seat at the table, he was still, um, his identity as a black man, he was still said, oh no, you don't have a, you don't have a say. I might not be articulating this in the right way, but it was just, it was very surprising. Mm-hmm. And it was something that we all spoke a lot about, that even if we have a seat at the table, right. how can we make sure that our voices are heard? Mm-hmm. Um, was something that really resonated with the group, especially working with the different populations that we all do. Um, yeah. And just to extend off of that, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like he was confronted <clears throat> unexpectedly with his identity, as you're saying, mm-hmm. at the seat at the table having almost being forced to play the teaching artist role and, and facilitator, mm-hmm. mitigator, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mediator, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, and yet, yeah, exactly what Kim was saying about like, okay, our, our, his voice wasn't necessarily, um, you know, a power broker, you know, per se, but yet he had to be very careful and diligent about uh, his gatekeeper moment same time so it's like how do we navigate power uh, without um, how do we navigate power inclusive of our identity not mm-hmm. like pretending that it's not a factor yeah right? yeah no I, th- I, I recall that um, and he was he was at a table with a, a lot of officers I yes, believe, and they were yeah. talking about um, the, the black boys in their com- and teens in their community and how everything is their fault. Yeah. Um, and he was like, Ooh. Uh, um, <laughs> Don't you see me sitting yeah, here? Yeah, I'm wow. sitting here. Um, mm. There is this thing, but I, I, I sort of, you know, just to bring it up a little slightly, like he was coming at it, like, I agree, like a teaching artist, but he was trying to come at it from a place of love yeah. mm-hmm. as, a, as opposed to um, matching the sort of hateful rhetoric that was happening at the table, which I, I, is very hard, yeah. Yeah. right? And, and so emblematic of so much of what's happening uh, currently in our world. Did he say what happened at the end of that? No, they. I mean, he's. I think he said it's. They sort of listened, and then they were sort of no. It's right. Still their fault. <laughs> wow. still, yeah. yeah. So I don't yeah. think it really mattered. I mean, it didn't seem to have an impact from his perspective. But that's also part of the work, right? That I think we've all experienced in this field of, we don't always, as the teaching artists or, or thereabouts, don't get the instant gratification of seeing our impact. Mm-hmm. If we do have, which I think mm-hmm. we do, yeah. but we don't always get that. So. Mm-hmm. He planted a seed, or yeah, you know, he left you something. You never know yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Did you have something to say? Um, I'm just going to talk about the the. Uh, we didn't directly address that particular instance in the diner rounds, mm-hmm. but uh, having follow up conversations uh, with friends, some of which were uh, at the live taping, some of which weren't. Um, the the discussion also became around uh, this idea of well, who and why are we creating the art that we create? Mm-hmm. Like like what is what is it for? And and this idea of be of of, of creating to instigate or, or, or uh, uh, artists as instigators. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're doing that, how much of the conversation needs to be. Uh, maybe always coming from a place of, of, of love and of care, but how much of it needs to be 
for me to take care of you mm-hmm. um, and, mm-hmm. and, and how much of it needs to be uh, this is what's going on in our community uh, communities and, and you need to see it for what it is mm-hmm. um, so that's 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 the thing that I wrestled with uh, in James's story it was like yes I've been in that situation many times as uh, as a black male as an artist um, but uh, how, yes how do I navigate that with um, this is this is the fierce urgency of now. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what a what a juicy thing to think about. So not not sugarcoating it. Not sugarcoating but, it, but illuminating it, and still, mm. is there a way to do that objectively, potentially, or or in a way that is confrontive but not combative? Right. And I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, and and I don't think there's. I'm sure there's a way to do it that's uh, non-combative. To do it objectively is to deny uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. our experience mm-hmm. um, uh, and to deny the uh, the blinding truth of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what that is. That just hit me. Um, <laughs> also, so, how is it possible to be objective as a human, like, yeah, in general? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that notion of even being concerned about how combative it is is still almost seeing it through a, you know quote unquote white gaze or white lens mm-hmm. how do we make someone else comfort in spite of our own ex- mm-hmm. lived experience mm-hmm. so it's still that kind of let me roll out the red carpet and like Marcus was just saying take care of you but what about the collective me or us right so and I'm, um, I appreciate that you mentioned the fierce urgency of now I, I found myself in about three, maybe three or four conversations throughout the couple of days where that phrase very specifically came up of like, okay, things are percolating, not just with me individually, but the people I'm talking with, you know, Katie was alluding to all these people from all around the world. It was like humbling, but of how do you navigate exactly what is brought up here? Um, There's a fierce urgency of now, but there's also the pitfall of wanting to act too quickly mm. and have this kind of fix-it mm. mentality. And if you're fixing what, what that which you don't understand, then you actually can cause more damage. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we, within our roles, navigate that? I don't, I'm not saying I have answers, but um, that was fascinating for me as something to kind of resonate on and reflect on. So in, in uh, previous conversations, and, and more specifically with um, my conversation with Edie, in, in, in our, that interview, we talk a lot about responsibility, or she talks a lot about responsibility, which has been making me think about what's my responsibility. So I, I would love to push into that a little bit about like what is our responsibility for helping us to understand before trying to fix or trying, you know, trying to swoop in necessarily and not deny uh, our experiences but actually find ways to utilize that it, it's to illuminate to help all of us understand I think is my, my question mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I definitely don't have answers but it's something to be thinking about I guess I feel like it's not a um, super targeted answer but one of the conversations that we had in our diner rounds was um, concerning the uh, the central nature of the arts in communities. And so the conversation started off, um, uh, I was uh, talking with two teaching artists from California and one from Norway. And um, I remember specifically asking, well, 
what is the uh, what is the teaching artist community like in California? Because I always kind of had this uh, this notion or this assumption that uh, teaching artistry uh, in the U.S. was a very East Coast thing, um, at least in the way that it thrives and in the way the communities thrive. And they were kind of like, well, no, I mean, I guess not. everyone's not necessarily considered a teaching artist or noted as a teaching artist, but if you think about um, how uh, communities have been built since the 70s and, and the, the artist communes that were created mm-hmm. uh, on the West Coast, um, artistry has always been a part of neighborhood revitalization, of, uh, of neighborhood change, of uh, community building. Um, and it just got me to thinking about, and, and we even talked a little bit about how in a lot of areas that is lost. Um, I will say in the 10 years that I have been involved in teaching artistry, I can think of maybe a handful of instances where we were specifically engaged in larger community work and community activities. And so it just got me to thinking of like, well, yeah, when you lose that, when you lose your work in the greater community, you lose the voices, the different voices, and not just the voices of people on uh, 116th in Madison on, in that block, but also involving the voices uh, people, of people uh, at 109th, um, close to the park. Uh, I think I think we've lost a little bit of that, and I'm wondering if the answer lies in being able to gather people around a table, around a stage, around um, uh, whatever it may be, and and create and have those conversations together. I think that's really interesting. Is I've just been thinking about this a lot, but just like I'm, I'm not entirely sure if this fits in with yours, but I have a feeling that it does somewhere. I, I met a couple of um, really nice people from like England, and then um, there was women from California and from Norway that were at our table at the dine rounds, and and this was a conversation that I had like just kept coming up, and I think particularly because David and I had led a panel on the evolution of social justice teaching artist training. And like we, we don't say that we come as experts to any of this. It's still about like um, enhancing the conversation. But I had said a couple of things that really stood out to some people about like uh, my specificity of language of like using some kind of social justice language that, that folks use. And they were, and they were just like, wow, in New York, like you guys are really militant about the language and like this social justice stuff. And I was like, no, it's like you're constantly learning and growing. Like I have built this over years. And, um, but that kept being the thing that was echoed. And I was like, how, how much is it like, we're like projecting this, you must be social justice, but not doing the type of work that you're, you're talking about, like going into our communities, but we're just putting on this like, facade of our, our using the correct terminology or language and stuff but not actually doing the work yeah. um, I don't know I just that's what made me think of that so yeah, yeah it's it's brought me increasingly so um, uh, I hope it's okay if I, if I say uh, uh, the inheritance project 
uh, if anybody is familiar with. So uh, the Inheritance Project um, essentially uh, goes into communities and creates pieces of theater together, um, which is one thing that's super unique about them. They do it around a central text that the community decides on. Mm -hmm. So they may go to um, uh, Casita Maria in the Bronx and say like, okay, we're gonna create a piece of theater together. Um, we're looking to do it around these themes. What are some pieces of text that may involve that? And, and you know, like anything can count as a piece of text, a, a, a novel, a, a, the constitution, a song, a poem. And then they, um, they sit and have conversations around that particular piece of text and how it relates to different experiences within that community setting. And they start creating theater and they keep coming back to these community spaces to, um, to uh, have open rehearsals where folks can come and be involved in it. And so that's, what's, that's what got me thinking of like, why aren't we yeah. doing more of this work? And, 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 and it, that seems so much more uh, essential mm -hmm. to the work we're doing. Like we do use a lot of language and, and, not, and not saying that that's the case for everybody. Some people are very involved in the community, but I'm just thinking it's not just enough for me to go into uh, 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 one of these schools in the Bronx for one day a week yeah. um, and, yeah. and kind of create with them with, while ignoring the, the greater community and what's happening outside of those walls. Yeah. It, it, I'm sorry, please. No, no, I think in my mind, I keep cycling back to a woman who was part of my dine around conversations who was so inspirational. She um, was from third world country and she had raised the funds herself to get to ITAC. Um, and she was using her art, which was in this case theater and dance, um, to instigate change in her community. She, there was a high prevalence of domestic violence in her community, so she had created a mobile theater and dance unit that was on a box truck and she would take it around to different communities and it was used as a teaching tool for boys and men to learn about why you shouldn't abuse women. Um, and she said that when she was at a bigger city, she'd take a bigger truck, and when she was going to little villages, she'd take a little van. Oh, um, so I don't know, and I wonder, I wonder then how, it, how different cultures and countries are using arts education and interacting within the community, mm -hmm. and I wonder how like culturally and at the government level, how that influences what we as artists and arts educators do within our communities, how the value of arts education um, influences what we do, I guess. It's interesting, what I'm picking up on is the, the big van, big city, little yeah. van, little <laughs> So village. she could fit on the streets. But, that, but one, but there's yeah. also an intentionality there, right? Like mm -hmm. if you come into a big city or a big town, sorry, a, a little town or a little village with a big vehicle, how intimidating would that be, mm -hmm. right? So she's thinking about the fact that I, I need to open a door, not just fit in the street, yeah. <laughs> that too, but that concept of like, I need to be able to open a door through this art mm -hmm. and through just my, even mm -hmm. my approach, right? And so that goes back to what you're talking about is like, how am I going into a community and doing one a, a drop-in um, event without acknowledging or contextualizing the community that those those kids or whomever we're working with are 
in. I don't know. That's really fascinating to me. I just wanted to, I mean, you kind of nailed it with, well, you did nail it with this anecdote, but it's just like, it's always, sorry, it always kind of feels a little unfair, the burden on the artist of like, we're artists, and and yet art has been obviously essential to any like real substantive movement in history, in modern history, and we're the ones that, you know, are targeted first, but at the same time, we're artists. But do you think why that is? Because I think we can actually re- re- resonate with the people. I think uh, I'm well. I'm not we. I don't wait. Yeah, no. I mean, let me, let me step we, back. We, the royal we. Yeah, yeah. the royal, yeah. the royal <laughs> we. Not me and, but yes, the royal we. I, I, I feel like uh, um, it's the most pervasive. It is the open door. It, it you know whether you're listening to a radio um, and people reminisce and, and have these emotional ties mm. with what they hear and see. Uh, and how and how it makes them feel, um, and obviously you know the the thing about ref- being a mirror reflecting society. I mean, there's all these catch you know cliches or whatever we know, but there's something to it. I mean, you know Nina Simone's quote, uh, which I'm going to paraphrase. And hopefully, I don't butcher it. But artists should essentially reflect reflect the times. And um, I don't necessarily think there is personally there's one way to do it, but I think. What I grapple with is, yes, I wholeheartedly believe that even if it's I'm watching art that I don't like, I appreciate that it's being created. And at the same time, where is the connection to, or where is the responsibility and accountability of political uh, entities, um, you know, other types of entities that actually make the infrastructure of society and make it work? Why is it necessarily? That's why I, where I, why I use the word unfair. Sometimes it feels like. Uh, we're carrying a burden and a mantle. I hate to say that we don't like deserve. I think anyone has a right to whatever, but it just feels very imbalanced, and we're held more accountable than actual legislative. Well, we hold entities. ourselves accountable. We do uh, more we so do. than I think government. Or yeah. at least government has historically. Sure. And the state. And the state has <laughs> yeah. for. Um, when you were speaking, I just got like a, a chill here, which means that my brain is, some my right brain is working, um, and I just had this, <laughs> I had this thought of, of or this visual of artists in the government, like mm. like invading <laughs> and and changing and build, building the government in the image of the artist. Is that? Is that crazy? No, it's, it's a thing. I, I love it. I support it. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have memos. We'd have graffiti walls. So. <laughs> and we'd be like, you know, everywhere. Paper everywhere. We'd be asking people oh to respond with, through, through an artistic, you know, clip. Not, not <laughs> <laughs> Advising, and then we make the decisions by consensus. There's an example yeah. of this. Oh, it's tell. Yeah, yeah. was at another conference, the other, I said that it was one of the two yeah. best conferences I ever went to. This was the other one uh, about two years ago uh, in D.C. Um, but I will not name it because this is ITAC focused. And if you can <laughs> name it. I so it's it's a creative it. time summit, and I'm okay. going back to the one this year in Miami. Uh, I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's, it's, DC one was yeah creative time like uh, like creative time New York they do all those public arts kind of projects and whatnot or whatever um, anyway um, there's this guy in Texas I don't remember what type of artist he is he might be a visual artist uh, he decided he kept realizing I think it's El Paso yeah which apparently is right off the border or near the border of Mexican border and there's all this you know political 
haymaking and all this stuff. And, and the 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 uh, people of the townspeople have been kind of lobbying for uh, this kind of cable car, whatever you call it, rail car above ground to connect from you know Texas and that their town to Mexico. But there's this vitriol because all oh, night no, will make it easier for illegal yeah, blah 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 blah. And he was like, you know, enough of this, like, me complaining and even creating art about I'm going to run for the office. And he won. And uh, he found funding to get this to happen. What? So the cable, it's either, it either is already in function or it's uh, slated to, is being reconstructed. Mm-hmm. And it includes renovation of, like, these old kind of left for dead rail cars. Um, and it's like a tourism thing. Like, he's mm-hmm. finding ways to get funding to these people. But through listening to the voices of the you know random voices or whatever of these people, so an artist was like, "I'm just gonna do it myself." Yeah. Oh, not himself. So yeah, I, you mean. should look into him. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah. You should. Um, our time, unfortunately, is coming to an end. I'm loving this conversation. I don't know how to end. I had a question, but I don't think it's it's the right one. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you could keep talking. What would you want to keep talking about so that we can pick up at another time, potentially? Or have like a round table in a different context? How we can do what Marcus is talking about over mm-hmm. here. Yeah. How can we form, you know, how can the Teaching Artist Affairs Committee mm-hmm. and the round table and all these organizations work together to do more of that? Yeah. yeah. Um, that. <laughs> and uh, I, I, would, I would be very interested in... in brainstorming how organizations can can come up with funding to send their teaching artists to uh, to these conferences. I mean, it's always, and not even always, but the administrators get to go and the administrators are getting sent. It's like, no, I want to send my I teaching I like artists. at a teaching artist conference. I, <laughs> I know, right? I mean, so much out of I'm it. I'm guilty of that. But uh, uh, so the next, to that end, the next conference is in Korea. Mm-hmm which is two years from now. Um, is anybody staking claim on trying to head to Korea? Yeah, I've told my fiance, we're gonna try to plan a wow. save the points now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. wow. We might honeymoon there, who knows? There you go. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely gonna try to go. The, yeah. the affairs committee is trying to send mm-hmm. some folks. Yeah. Out. I'm campaigning for one of those spots. Yeah. You're yeah. off it, so. Oh, thanks. No, I'm <laughs> off it. You're, you're off the beginning, I was you're like. On the list. Now you're off, you're off the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm officially on the advocacy committee, but thankfully oh, I know some people. I, I know some people, and yeah. Alea was like, oh, you're going to get the emails. No, I think that's, yeah, I got we got to figure it out, too, because I think it's important. Yeah. What, what else? should we be talking about? Well, I want to extend to, like, Marcus brought up these two key points, one of which Katie already illuminated. Um, But yeah, teaching artistry, or teaching artists, again, borrow your term, seat at the table, like, they should be more involved with, like, board meetings, or, like, knowing Mm -hmm. what's happening, Mm -hmm. and having a say Mm -hmm. as to, uh, what happens in organizations and impacting those decisions because they're actually doing the work, you know. Um, and it really should get out of this, uh, like, kind of their pawns or whatever. Not to say, I don't think I've never heard anyone refer to teacher artists as pawns, but in terms of how organizations operate, right? Um, their voices, I think, we need to 
need to find better ways to get them in the room at the table having a say, which hopefully impacts fair pay uh, and yeah. all these other and inviting. That's actually a, um, a good point. The, um, the pre-conference session that we had was about teaching artists, as, sorry, that the New Victory had was about teaching artists as um, organizational influencer. Right. And one of them was around this idea of either having teaching artists as part of the board or engaging more widely within the whole organization mm, yeah. um, in, in a multitude of ways, not just through teaching, but in leadership type positions. Yeah. Skill set too, right? We're making, we're giving yeah. them. Yeah, you get it. You get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, the dine around was one of the the highlights of the conference, and I am interested in how we can continue this global connectivity mm -hmm. because we we had the space, we had the two, even in those like two or three hours that we were together, there was this magic and this hope that was created um, just from a group of ten people at a table, mm -hmm. and. Imagine if that turned into year-long or like months-long, who knows, um, conversations, what could be achieved. That's interesting. Maybe through the iTech collab, um, we can yeah. be thinking about how we can continue to connect with our global brethren mm. and sisters. <laughs> Peeps. Uh, <laughs> um, well, yeah, again, I'm really sorry that we have to end, but um, thank you so much for your time and your super exciting and juicy tidbits. Is that the right word? Am I yeah. minimizing them? Sorry. Oh, yeah, tidbits. Okay. Highlights. Highlights. Tidbits. Thank you for having us. Thank you for offering us for Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for. Um, Thank you for the work that you all do. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm excited to continue to work with you in different ways. It's a great way to kick off Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I know, it's not a Matic Monday, it's a mindful Monday. Mindful Monday, I like it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Hashtag that. Hashtag mindful Mondays. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Episode 11, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. Teaching Artistry Live, Urgency and Love. Join us next time for Arts Advocacy Day 2018. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John o. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry and now on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.